Alrighty. Um, hey now. It's a Tide stain remover. I spilled coffee on myself. I have a drinking problem. Um, okay. Any any questions or discussion points from this morning's message? Um, anything? I have a hard time believing there's not anything out there. Elsa? Oh, oh Kim. Kim. You need a microphone, Kim. Oh, there's a race. Okay. If you put me on the spot, I wasn't ready. You grumble into the mic. Oh, here. There we go. Oh, God. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, so you referenced the passage, but I don't believe you actually read it unless that's when I tucked out to do some coffee. But, you know, Elsa and I were kind of talking about this before, in the submission to our husbands. I mean, specifically, what does it mean for a wife to submit to their husband? Okay, specifically. <laughs> let, me, let, me, let me say this. As I understand submission and obedience and honor, it does not change in its meaning from situation. Its application does, but it's fundamental. What it means for a child to submit and obey, what it means for a citizen to submit and obey, what it means for the, the church to submit and obey, what it means for wives. It basically means this. Unless you're being commanded to sin... You order yourself to, to submit, means to place yourself under someone's leadership. And if you think it's the wrong call, you trust that God will deal with that. Like, I don't agree, I don't think that's wise, but if God's put you, whether it's the child to the parent, the wife to the husband, this, the citizen to the government, the, the congregant, the church, whatever it is, that's, as, as I see it, I mean, look, look at, let's go to Ephesians 5. Um, Wasn't planning on going here, but happy to. Happy to. Well, I brought up government. I brought. I mean, I brought up all sorts of things. Okay. Now that, that's my, a friend of mine, Chris. No, that that hostage building reference. A friend of mine, Chris, who actually listens to these podcasts. So everyone say hi, Chris. Hi, hi Chris. Um, had watched. This is going to show how old I am. 80s action movie where somebody got in trouble because he was trying to like t they're taking out the bad guy but the bad guys brought hostages into the building and the building blew up and he got in trouble for doing that so he used that expression it's like when someone says well if what you're saying is true then my granny is in hell well you, they just put the hostage into the building right they brought up granny I didn't bring up granny and his phrase is you bring the hostages in the building I'm still going to blow it up well then I guess granny's in hell you know so it's you, you're the one who brought granny up I didn't bring granny up and so my wife's saying that I brought the thing up, so I, I have to deal with it. Well said. Okay. All right. So pick it up in verse 22 of chapter 5 in Ephesians. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. The husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives should submit in everything to their husbands. I, I think it means what it says. 
the exception being unless a husband is calling the wife to sin. We're, we're, we're not going to be Christians anymore. Come, come with me. We're going to go be Mormons or we're going to go you know, worship Baal or whatever. Uh, drive the getaway car. I'm going to rob the bank. No, I can't do that. You know, um, there go the afternoon plans. <laughs> right. Uh, so are we not being obedient then if we've got a different opinion? Is it no. disobeying if we disagree? A, no, not at all. No, not at all. Um, the, 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 are we, you can disagree with an authority. It's, it's all how you do it, right? I mean, I disagree strongly with many of the policies and laws in our land. I hope I disagree strongly while being submissive and respectful, where more my conscience will allow. Um, so I, I, I vehemently disagree with a lot of things, you know, the, the policies on abortion, policies on other issues, and yet there needs to be room to do that respectfully. I mean, you, you see an example of that if you go to the book of Daniel and see Daniel's interaction with a pagan king who's his authority, and he speaks with reverence, and he speaks with honor, and he tells the king, you defied God and you're going to get it. In a very humble, in a very humble, like so, absolutely. It's it's all the difference between saying, um, "Are you sure that's a good idea?" That's stupid. You know, I mean, it, it, we all know how you can convey respect or not convey respect, and it's easier to get from kids. I'm not saying a wife's relationship to a husband is like a child's relationship, but the basic principle of disagreeing but respectfully is the case. Um, so my wife frequently, I'm very helped by this, will point things out to me that I'm completely missing or correct me on things or tell me that I brought the hostages into the building. And it's a blessing. Um, there are other times where I might say, okay, I've heard you. I still think this is what we need to do. And then at that point, you can trust that God's going to judge your husband and you're safe. Unless he's calling you to sin. You can, go, to first, go to First Peter. Um, well, actually, before you go to First Peter, stay in Ephesians. Everyone thinks that paragraph, the wife's command, is hard. I don't think they've taken fully the significance of what God says to the husbands. I think it's harder. The wife's to model her relationship as the church to Christ. Now, I must say that that's not a terribly hard act to follow, because the church <laughs> stumbles in doing that. The husband, on the other hand, um, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, which I think is a very nice way of saying was crucified, which led C.S. Lewis to write famously that that husband whose marriage is most like a crucifixion is most fulfilling this passage. <laughs> he said it, not me. But the point is giving yourself up is, is unpack that. Humble yourself, serve, be willing to suffer mistreatment. You take the punishment and the pain for the good of this other one, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water with the word, ministering, serving. That, that's the standard husbands are called to. So if, if you fail at what you're doing, you make the church look bad. If I fail at what I'm doing, I make Jesus look bad. People are supposed to learn something about Jesus by watching me, just as people are supposed to learn something about the church by watching the wife. So I, the, the picture here is not, and again, this gets back to our automatic assumption that authority is bad, we bristle, which is why I think it's important. I mean, let me ask this question. When did submission or subordination come into existence and begin? Because some of the feminists will say, it's only a result of the fall, right? And, and so Adam and Eve, you got to go back further. Angels, go back further. Intra-Trinitarian workings. 
Has there ever been a time when the Son did not delight to do the will of the Father? Has God's plan of salvation not always been eternally in place where the Son submitted to do it? This has led guys like Wayne Grudem, and, I, and yes, I know in the blogosphere this is blowing up and whatever, but this is, if you've got a fundamental problem with submission, you've got a fundamental problem with God. And if you think you're too good to submit, you think you're better than God, because members of the Trinity submit to each other. And, and if you think you want to pit, because this is the other thing, we want to contrast, we need less authority and rules, we need more relationships and love. Both perfectly coexist within the Godhead. Perfectly. So it's a false antithesis, it's a false dichotomy to think it's either this or that. Yes, we've seen the abuses of authority. Yes, we've seen the abuses of power. And within the church, there's places for this. I mean, again, the, the Purit Puritans get a bad rap for being these like strict legalists, but there's actually cases of issues of church discipline where a wife who thought, I mean, in the same way that the leadership of the church are told not to lord our authority over the body. So on the one hand, the body is called to obey the leaders. Hebrews 13, 17 is clear. Obey your leaders and submit to them as those who watch out for your soul. Well, what about some totalitarian fascist leaders? Well, they're commanded in 1 Peter 5 not to lord their authority over the flock. So the, a person can say, look, I, I, I will try to follow your leadership, but I really, I really think you're lording your authority at this point. And that would be a real issue. If a husband's just commanding everything here, there, and everywhere, that'd be a potential issue. Um, so there, there is, and this is within Scripture as well, that there's guidance and guidelines. But um, honestly, your husband is the only authority you get to choose. I mean, except for your voting your ballot in November, right? I mean, every other one you're born into, you get a king, you, you know. But here's, here's one situation you actually get to choose. So I know it's unpleasant and unpopular, but like I said earlier, most of the hardest things in Scripture are pretty plain and clear, and I don't write the mail, I just try to deliver it. So we, we can have another series on, on marriage and stuff some other time. Um, does that sort of deal with that or, or do you want more? Yes. Next week we'll deal with that some. We deal with discipline, correction, and exasperation. Fathers, don't provoke your children to anger, but raise them in the fear and admission. So what is appropriate discipline, correction? What does it mean to exasperate, provoke to anger? That's next week's topic. There'll be some overlap because even though um, husbands aren't disciplining their wives like their children. The, the principles of what is exasperating, I think, do sort of blend. Like, how do you abuse your authority in a way that, that's going to anger and provoke kids? Um, we'll deal with that. Okay. Other questions or thoughts? Yahob. How often would you say that? command to stone disobedient, rebellious children was actually carried out? I have no idea. No, 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 that's a fair question. And in fact, many people suggest, oh, they never did this. I didn't realize just how many places it was written. Um, there's no record that I'm aware of of any particular case being enacted. But there's also tons of laws and punishments that we have no record of any case being enacted. It'd be an argument from silence. I don't know. I, I don't know at all how often. I will say this, though. The assumption that the teenager rebels is something that's really come into being in the last 70 years. Um, it has not been a, a worldwide, time-wide assumption. It is a relatively new development on the scheme of parenting. And it used to be that teenagers were captaining ships and teaching themselves trigonometry and, you know, doing... 
and we could go on a whole discussion about actually I think part of the frustration of today's teenagers comes in the fact that they're actually prohibited from acting like adults. Prohib they got a foot in one world and not in the other. They can't really hold a full-time job. They, they got all these adult hormones and stuff raging around, but they're told they're children. I, I think a lot of the anguish and angst and frustration has a lot to do with this zone we've put them in. Um, but but that's, that's for another time. But it's a relatively new theory. So I'd suggest, I'd think in some senses, rarely. I mean, think about it. In a community over 50 years, if parents saw this happen once to one child, do you think how long would it take for it to ever need to happen again? I suspect this was rarely done and would only need to be done rarely. Um, any other questions, Jacob? Or No. We, we brought our Sunday school class to listen to you, so... I told them if they have questions to raise their hand. Okay. <laughs> Anybody? Yes, hold on. No, microphone. My microphone. Okay, when it talks about right away, all the way, and with a happy heart, I struggle a little bit with um, in this day and age when you've got a screaming child at Walmart and you go to discipline them and you know do you fear for being called on by the DHS or <laughs> oh no no and this no that's that's a great that's a great question uh, I I will I uh, I would not recommend I, I won't take kids out who I don't trust a little day and so there are times where I've had to tell kids you can't come you're gonna stay home with dad because last time you were out you didn't know yeah because you're in some extent your hands are tied. Um, and I would encourage people to be wise as serpents and as harmless as doves. Um, so, no, I, no, I agree. There's, I'm going to act with a lot more. I mean, you've got your own home. You've got privacy. You've got the ability to put some kids in another room. You can go over here with one. You can't leave your kids in the cart where you take one kid. Some, I mean, yeah, of course. Um, but that leads to being trying to be selective and careful of when you take kids out so that you don't give them a platform. Because once they pick up on the fact that I can get away with more in public, oh yeah, they're gonna run with that. So, yeah, when you're on the phone, or yeah, yeah. When you're watching TV, be careful, daddy's watching his stories, you know. Um, um, no, 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 a no, absolutely, absolutely, so yeah. Yeah, and that's mainly what we're dealing with next week as well. And even moving on, Pastor Daniel's going to come up, and we're going to pause the ABF sermon discussion and have six weeks of really practical. I mean, he's going to have a whole week dealing with, okay, first year of parenting. What? How do you deal with this? And early ages and other stuff. And um, I'm looking forward to that. So, no, that, that's a, yes. Your point is well made, yes. I thought I saw another hand. Anybody? Anybody? Yes! This is Ed, Crystal Evans. It's probably more of a, just a comment first. Okay. But a couple of weeks ago when we started this, <clears throat> I thought it was really helpful to know that since God is a God of order, the first thing that children have to do is obey. <clears throat> Excuse me. And then the parents are held to their accountability, like not disciplining in anger or bringing your mm -hmm. kids to yeah yeah so i thought that was really helpful and it gave me some confidence well, thank you that was yeah, with a god's thank command you. with a promise thank you thank you have you guys thoughts to consider that a child is far more likely almost certainly 
going to learn this before they ever learn the gospel. Right? I mean, there's a reason this is the first commandment, because Eliana, my 14-year-old, is a 14-month-year-old. <laughs> Phew! Phew! That went by really fast. <laughs> my 14-month-year-old is already learning no touch, give to mommy or daddy, you know, things like that while she can't possibly understand the abstract concepts of substitutionary atonement and Jesus dying on the cross for her sins. Serena's, Serena's, <laughs> Serena's confident of her abstract thinking abilities. I remain more skeptical. Um, but the point is, the kid is almost certainly going to learn, or should learn, basic obedience before they're ever going to be able to... Admit, not that you withhold... We're talking to them about Jesus regardless. Who knows when they can start to understand stuff. But they're almost certainly going to learn this first. Um, that, was, that was interesting to me, too, because we want to think, no, the first thing I don't know is that God loves them and Jesus died for them. Well, yeah, you, as early as you can, you're telling them that message. It's not like do this, then this. But they're almost certainly learning this first. And that, and that struck me like, huh. It's, I mentioned this two, two weeks ago, I think, but... Um, I think the concept is very similar to the military. The military can train people to pilot multi-million dollar airplanes and drive billion dollar um, aircraft carriers and handle incredible responsibility and train them to do very complicated, complex tasks. But before they ever will get around to doing any of that, they've got to resolve the fundamental question of who's in charge and will you do what you're told. And it's similar. I think when we picture these these sort of homes of these browbeaten, terrified children and the fathers who just give commands, A, that's kind of a stereotype or a straw man, but the other picture is, it, this, isn't, this is just the beginning. This is the first thing. It's not the only thing. And from there, you're in a position where, as you saw in the Proverbs, the father can say, here, let me teach you this. Let me show you this. Come with me as we walk along the way, and I'm going to speak of God's word and point this out to you. And you begin to instruct and to train and to teach but when you see, especially in sort of rebellious kids, and you see it more clearly in teenagers, that sort of, I don't care, I don't want to listen, I'm not paying attention, which biblically is the fool. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Finish it. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Right? You get, don't forget the second half of that proverb. So that is rank foolishness. And I don't mean foolishness like, <laughs> I mean foolishness like the... <laughs> I mean foolishness like... Psalm 14.1, the fool says in his heart there is no God. It's contrasted with the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Um, so even now at an early age, if you're trying to tell your kids something, and I, I'll do this with my kids sometimes, they'll, they've memorized that proverb, and I'll be saying, okay, I want you to, and they'll speak, I, you want me to, what do fools despise? Wisdom and instruction? Will you, will you listen to mommy and daddy, please? Stop being foolish. Okay. You know, and you, you apply that. Ke Kevin. I was realizing when you were talking about obeying your parents that uh, I think where parents fail hugely in respect to laying down the law, for lack of better words, yeah. is that when we do that, we need to not point the the obedience back to us as yes. because I said so. Yes. But because of the root reason the kids should be obeying mm. as obeying what God has asked them to 
do. Um, and I, I know I've failed at that miserably many, yeah. many times. And that's possibly why we struggle with our kids' understanding of mm. obeying. Right. No, no, ab, ab, absolutely. When I, when I had to c- repent and confess to my son, Zadok, it was because I became angry at him. I think I told you this. He left the light on in the car, and I couldn't go to my son's soccer game. And, and it wasn't had nothing to do with there's a holy God who wants you to honor your parents. It was about daddy's will and daddy's desires were thwarted. And even though I didn't like act in anger, he could tell. I, I emoted strongly. <laughs> you know, and... What he learned from that was you obey daddy because daddy can be scary, not you obey daddy because there's a holy God, right? Well, that's not righteous and that's not right. And I don't want my kids to obey me because they're scared of me. I want them to obey me because they're scared of God, like they fear the Lord. And so I'm actually undercutting the real thing. The more I'm relying on my ethos and my weights and my persona, um, that, that's wrong. And again, you get back to domineering. I will squash and I will superimpose my will on yours. No, it's daddy's going to sin and daddy's going to mess up, but God wants you to obey daddy. And God wants daddy to obey the police officers. And God wants daddy to, you know, and, and so we're all in this structure where there's a holy God that we're to obey. And the holy God tells us we obey him by obeying these other people at various points in life. A- absolutely, Kevin. That's, that, and that's the challenge is getting it off of us. And pointing them back to, I mean, because it even gets in that commandment, in the Lord. Children are your parents in the Lord, not because of who they are, because of who God is. Um, absolutely. Thank you. Yes, Elsa. Um, I have a question then. If you think of the, the Jews with their sons that uh, have their bar mitzvah when they're 13, when they yeah. should know, they've taught them from young children to obey God. And then, in a way, if you look at catechism was that not an attempt of the church to help foster that yes. knowledge and, and the kids young kids yeah yeah historically um the entering into adulthood has been seen as occurring in the early to mid teen years uh, and if you just think about it just just really sad. and again i recognize that that's not where we're living today so i'm not suggesting that our 13 and 14 year olds go get married historically that's what happened but you got to ask a simple question. Did God make a mistake when he made us biologically ready for marriage and reproduction and with all these desires and passions? Hold on to that for a decade because that's basically your average first marriage for a, a white female is 28, last time I checked. Um, and for men, it might even be higher. And so what you're basically saying is, here, take the peak years of your passion and take this, what Proverbs calls a fire in your bosom, and just do nothing with that for a decade or so. So... That, that's not going to work out very well. Um, and so, historically, the entering into adulthood and therefore the readiness for a trade, the readiness for marriage, the readiness for all those things has been linked much more to 13, 14, 15 years old. Now, that only works if from day one you're planning, preparing, getting ready for that. So I'm, I'm not saying that our 14 and 15-year-olds are ready for that. You, you need a life and, in many respects, a culture backing that expectation up. But that is where the culture had been for the vast majority of human history. Um, it, really, the first time the word teenager occurred was in um, the 1950s, post-World War II, in Reader's Digest. That's the first 
use of the word that's been tracked. Um, and it's anyway, you can get into that whole thing. And, and if, if yes, hold on. Yes. Along that line of, uh, young people and and let's and also sex because you're saying oh they don't get married till they're 28 i think we all know that probably the majority of people are sexually active and yes. pretending they're playing house let's face it yep. and so i think often the church or uh, christians say oh you can't get married when you're 19 or whatever and i think that's not always totally unwise because i think it's better sometimes to harness those things and if you know if they've got the modicum the minimum of maturity and able to uh function and grow up together because yeah. I think probably a lot of us did that married quite young and we're you know I'm oh, still yeah. together oh I I, I frequently I frequently am in favor of people getting married younger I mean if you you shouldn't get married till you're ready to get married <laughs> let me say that um, I mean we do have people in their 20s and 30s who are children I mean fu functionally speaking um, but yeah I'm in favor of getting married I mean what does Paul say it's better to marry than to burn I've only been to one marriage one wedding where the people said, we're getting married here because we can't keep our hands off each other. But that's a biblical perspective. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 7. So I've, I've been to one wedding. They actually pushed the date up. We got, first got their wedding date, and then we got this letter like a month later pushing it up three months. Because, no, no, they, and they were humble enough to admit it. This is hard, and we're not doing so hot. So we want to get married sooner. Yeah. Okay. And I, and so I'm a, I'm a, amen, amen, and amen, Lee. Okay. And the other question is, what about when the husband and wife have different uh, temperaments and also amounts of, like, what do you call obedience with mm -hmm. the kids? Because, mm -hmm. I mean, that was something uh, Don and I have struggled with because okay. origin families, totally different, totally okay. opposite. Okay. And so, yeah. We'll get into that more next week and even in the weeks that follow. But, yeah, I think... When I talk to parents, be premarital, I think more, more important than either parent having a perfect understanding of what is obedience, I think is that both parents have the same understanding. I'd rather have two parents totally united a little off than one parent perfectly on and one parent a little off. Because I think that that double standard, this is what dad requires, this is what mom requires, is precisely the type of thing that does provoke to anger and exasperate kids. I think consistency is the most important thing. I, because think about it. One day you do thing X, nothing happens. One day you do thing X and you get yelled at. One day you get do thing X, you get spanked. That's chaos. Um, so consistency, even if, I mean, it, yes, my, my kids... I'm larger than my wife. I can have a deep voice. You know, my, my kid, there's a sense in which, yeah, they're going to they're gonna be a little more fearful of me, a little more taking me seriously than my wife. But we're both cor constantly course correcting, trying to aim at the same mark and the same standards. And, and then pointing out when, like, hey, I don't let them get away with that, but you're letting them get away with that. And then, okay, and then fixing it up. But, no, that's, that's a huge problem. And I think not, parents need to spend a lot of time talking through both what the standards are and what are the steps that you follow through when this happens. The more it's consistent, what the kids are to get, God is orderly. And one of the things God shows in the scriptures, he doesn't just lose his temper. You ever think, what is the point of the angels coming down to, to inspect Sodom and Gomorrah? What, God doesn't know what's taking place? He wants Abraham, who has no scripture. Abraham has no record of who God is. He has some oral reports from the flood, things like that. He has no written text. And he wants... Abraham to know 
that what is about to happen, which is going to be absolute shock and awe, is not like these pagan deities who just sort of fly off the handle and lose their self-control and have a temper tantrum. It's, it's reasoned. It's righteous. There's an opportunity for mediation, for someone to intercede. So Abraham can say, well, what if there are a hundred righteous? If there are a hundred righteous, I won't do anything. What if there's... And he negotiates down. What's that showing you? This is justice that is ordered, and it's righteous, and it's controlled. Right? Abraham learns all of that before the fireworks start. And what you want your kids to know is not, I get away with it until mommy's mad or daddy's mad. What you want is calm. In our house, you know, this is what happens when this happens. And so even with our kids, the first thing we do is agree upon what the transgression was. What did you do? And try to put into biblical terms. Did you, did you lie? Did you disobey? I, yes, I disobeyed. Okay. And then we'll go through, okay, then what happens as a result of that. And there tries to be consistency so that they get this sense of order. And it's not this constant, oh, what's going to happen? You know? Um, and, and you're calm. You're not doing it in anger. You're self-controlled. You're modeling. Back to what Kevin was saying, this isn't about thwarting dad's will. This isn't about interfering with mom's desires. This is about there's a holy God. And our Heavenly Father disciplines us for our good, and he's called on us to discipline our children for their good. And I think in that context with restoration, with forgiveness, and consistency, you get a very different picture than just you get away with it until dad gets angry. You get away with it until mom gets angry. Um, which is sadly, I think, what happens a lot of times is that it, it's tough and it's hard work. And you got a lot of kids, it's really hard work to drop what you're doing. Like, no, he just disobeyed. Okay. You know, and you let him slip and you let him slip. And what you end up doing is getting irritated. In fact, the clearest sign that I've been letting things slip is when I find myself getting irritated or vice versa. So Serena might say to me, you're getting irritated. Like, yeah. Basically what that means is two hours ago, I should have done something. Um, because what I find is, no, when you're dealing with things and you're and you're this restoration, um, it always ends with "I'm sorry, please forgive me." Again, you get a big hug, and you know, you have this whole and you're modeling the God. I mean, we're stopping it. It models the gospel, transgression, discipline. There's some form of punishment. The punishment removes the guilt, and now reconciliation, and forgiveness is possible. So I tell my kids when I tell them the gospel on the cross, Jesus got spanked for you by his father. In a sense, that's what it's like. You know, the spanking removes the guilt. The spanking removes the the discipline. Removes the hanging over your head, and we can be restored. On the cross, that's like what happened, and that's frequently the earliest explanation or understanding of the gospel. Because actually, discipline pictures that. It sets up what theologians call expiation, that which removes guilt. Um, anyway, it's probably a bigger answer than you're looking for, but. Um. <laughs> No, it's weird. You ever, you ever imagine that that pick can be used to help explain the gospel? Yar. Mike, microphone. Um, this might be more what you're saying, Pastor Daniel is going to get into in a couple weeks, but mm -hmm. my husband and I, in preparing for our kid, yeah. figuring out when do we start implementing, how do you, like, at what point are they disobeying, or is it right. that they're sinful, and maybe that's different depending mm -hmm. on kid or development, or yeah. like, how do we figure that out from the beginning? Okay, I will give you the three-minute answer, and there'll be days, like Sunday, entire mornings devoted to that. The, the simple answer is this. Um, there are all types of forms of discipline and correction that you can administer that are age-appropriate, that are, that, are, uh, that are good. You're studying your child, you're shepherding your child. And to me, and we'll get back to exasperating folk in your 
The second I think my child understands what I want and is in any way capable of doing it, that's when I'll, I'll start to implement things. So for my 14-month-year-old, a few months ago, I noticed that she started to pick up on not touching things. Well, once I know that she knows what that means, she's on the hook for that. And so it might be something as simple as just sort of flicking a hand, reaching for something, right? I mean, or um, even younger, um, if they're throwing a temper tantrum, forcing them to hold still. And this is, this is, this is, I mean, we're getting into sort of application, but, you know, rather than a kid flail, what's, what's going on a kid's freaking out? They're, they're just having a temper tantrum. They're, they're pouring out their wrath. So what I'll, what I try to do is when the kid's doing that, I'll just, no pain, nothing, just hold them. I can use my legs to hold their legs, their arms to hold their arms until they calm down. And what they quickly learn is if I start to lose it, I get uncomfortable. And as soon as they relax, let them go. You only have to do that a few times before they just sort of, you know, at least I've my experience, and, I, and kids are different, so I'm not saying this is the case with every kid, but what you're training them is nothing good comes of throwing a fit. Right. You're, you're tr as opposed to, no, you can throw a fit for as long as you want, have at it, we'll come back when you're done. You're training them, I throw a fit and I can't move. <laughs> right? Um, so... You know, I do that as early as they're throwing fits because you're not you're not inflicting any pain or anything. You just basically no, I'm not going to let you kick and flail your arms. I'm going to hold you still until you relax. And the first couple of times it takes a while to figure that out, but very quickly we found they just relax, and then they know as soon as they relax and stop kicking and screaming, I release. You know, and so that that we just call it no fuss, no fuss. You just say it and you repeat. It's almost like training a dog in some sense. You want to get a verbal command that's associated no fuss. No fuss, you talk softly, you're not mad, no fuss, and as soon as they relax, there you go, and you put them back down. They learn. Yes, Katie. Um, that was something I worried about with um, our first child, and we realized that it was um, very obvious when uh, he started to uh, get upset or when he was thwarted. Like, it's a very obvious thing yeah. when they're sinning, and uh, you don't think it's going to be, and then you see it. Like, oh yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You could. I, I think parents very quickly. You know the difference between the cry of just I'm wet or I'm hungry and the no. You know, it's the one where you put them in the crib and they stand up on their feet and they start screaming and it's like you have betrayed me. <laughs> Come back. <laughs> I am the Lord. <laughs> you know, and you're like. I, I, and if you have any confusion, you know, I'd, I'd say, fine, hold off. But to answer your question in its, in its simplicity, when, once I think my kid knows what I want, and once my kid in any way has the ability to do what I'm asking him to do, obviously if I'm like, okay, go make me a coffee, Eliana. <laughs> She's being disobedient, you know. Um, but right now, I know that if I say, hand that to me, because we've done this, she can. So if she picks something up and I say, give, give, give to daddy, and she doesn't, she, I'm confident now because I've been studying her that she knew what I was asking her to do. And, and some sort of appropriate response could be, could be used at that point. So I think it just comes down to study. I mean, shepherding isn't a book, here's your tips. You're studying your kids. You're learning them. You're, you're learning and paying attention to them so that you can pick up. And sure, if you have doubts, if you're not sure, you know, hold off till you are. But I think very quickly what Katie said, you, you can tell the difference between anger and wrath and... I'm wet, you know, and, and yeah, we have two minutes, two minutes, Linda. 
Oh, oh, the mic's not on, Linda. You got, you got to speak into the mic. Um, wouldn't it go along with the scripture that says, teach them in the morning, evening, noon, in the marketplace, everywhere yeah. you go? It's a process. It's not yeah. a, you know, it's a continuation of kind of just like our sanctification process. It's a continuous right. learning and growing and... Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's part of life. And, and there's different types of instruction and correction and rebuke and even discipline. It's not all uniform. Some things require different things. Some things can be as simple as, hey, can you think of a, a, a better way to say that? That wasn't, very, that wasn't very honoring. Instead of, you know, I'm hungry. Well, nice to meet you, hungry. You know, I'm daddy. Um, no, no, but say, can you think of a more respectful way? Could you please make me a sandwich? Love to make you a sandwich. You know, I mean, sometimes that's the correction, right? And sometimes it's just no. Other times, it, but but I'll tell you, getting back to what to what you said, um, Lee, probably the second biggest infraction in our lying, double down, look you in the eye, lying is probably number one. Number two, and a close number two, is pitting mommy against daddy. Getting back to that notion, if you want you you want them to be unified, so if you ask mommy and she says no, and you ask daddy. Watch out! <laughs> no. Oh yeah. No, no, that, no. That, that's what I'm saying. Just asking. Did you already ask mommy? Yeah. And you, you ask some tough questions. Mommy said no, but you want daddy to say yes. So you want daddy to disagree with mommy? Are you, do you want daddy and mommy to fight? <laughs> no, 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 Lee, no. No, but, but what you're trying to do, no, what you're trying to do though is you're trying to unpack what they're doing. You want daddy to disagree with mommy. You want to put daddy in conflict with mommy. You want us to disagree. You want us to have a disagreement because you want what you want. Is the candy really worth it, kid? Would you, do you, is what you want, you, you wanted the candy more than mommy and daddy to be at peace. So you were willing to pit mommy against daddy and have them disagree and contradict each other so you could get what you want. Right? Okay. As long as you know it, that's fine. You know, uh, I, I mean, I've, I have some things to say about that, but as long as you understand. Anyway, um, we will take a, take a, oh, Greg? Oh, we'll let, we'll let El Elder Sweet close us out. Well, I was just going to say, as we've listened here, one of the most difficult things of, of disciplining your children or, or holding them accountable is how much work it is. <laughs> Amen. I mean, you're just at it all the time. And yep. there are times when, when you just think, I can't get anything else done, I can't let that, and so you tend to let things go yeah. or pretend you didn't see things. And, and, and there, are, there are times when, honestly, there are times when I think that's appropriate unless they know you. And it's never appropriate if they know you know right. what they just did. But, right. but sometimes, I, I mean, you just have to hang in there you know, yeah. and keep doing it and, and know that if I'm consistent with it, uh, early on, it'll get less and less and less. No, that's, uh, but it is hard. Uh, hard the first work. two or three years, it's constant, at least. And and uh, in our experience, um, and I know everyone's experience can be a little different, but in our experience, the constant, constant stuff became less and less as as they get older. So um, there's still plenty of stuff to do, but the the most hands-on, attentive are you know the first two or three years, absolutely. Um, that's my experience, at least. Um, but no, but it's worth it. But th and that's why in the message I was trying to highlight, if you honestly thought the community would gather together and stone to death your kid, 
you'd find the energy to keep at it. <laughs> you know, you wouldn't just say, oh, heck with it. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, and again, anyway, we're over time. Um, we'll see you all next week. God bless.